Great stuff, Liz. Thank you very much. Uh, may I add my own welcome to, uh, to you, that of Andy's. It's great to have you with us, whoever you are, uh, wherever you've come from. Very welcome. My name's Will. I'm one of the uh, ministers uh, here at uh, Holy Trinity. Let me uh, pray for us as we uh, look at that, uh, that passage. Uh, Simeon's song said, uh, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. Uh, Lord God, how we praise you that you have sent Jesus. Uh, he is indeed your salvation. Uh, and we pray that uh, this evening you would give us that light of revelation, that we may see him clearly, uh, love him dearly, and follow him nearly. For your sake we pray. Amen. Uh, most new parents take the job of looking after children, uh, a new child, I should say, pretty seriously, I think. Uh, my wife and I didn't necessarily. Our son drank rinse aid in the first year of his uh, of being, uh, being born, unfortunately, I should say. Uh, but most parents, at least, try and give their children the best starts in life. They look after them incredibly carefully. There's nothing that they wouldn't do for them. Uh, apparently, the average baby goes to uh, see a GP at a minimum of eight times uh, in the first uh, year of existence. I, I don't believe that's because they need to, necessarily. It's more a reflection, isn't it, of the parents. Uh, the parents want to do everything they can to uh, look after uh, their child. Uh, and it's right that parents do that. Uh, caring for a child's physical needs it, it is important. Of course it is. But actually, for, for Christians, for, for believing parents, there's something that's even more important. Uh, and it's caring for a child's spiritual uh, needs. Uh, it's the job of parents to pray for their child, uh, to read them the Bible. Uh, to introduce them to the family of God and to the Christian faith, uh, and in the fullness of time to, to present them to the Lord in baptism uh, as a sign of, uh, of God's promise and grace. And from this passage, we can tell that Mary and Joseph were conscientious parents. Uh, they clearly were. Our passage shows them taking those duties really seriously. Uh, but this story actually isn't simply an example of, of good parenting. It is an example of that, but it's more than that actually. Uh, Luke, the gospel writer, the, the, the writer who's penned this, uh, is trying to show us two wonderful truths about this baby at the heart of the passage. He wants to show us who he is, uh, what his coming means, and how you and I should respond to him. Uh, one of Luke's favorite tricks as a writer is to present people in pairs, uh, he quite often does that. Uh, and you can see it in the story that we've got here. We've got two pairs, haven't we? We've got uh, Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, and then Simeon and Anna together. And I think the best way to uh, tackle this uh, story is to look at each of them in uh, turn and then draw from that the lesson that we can learn about the Lord Jesus. So I'd be very grateful if you could keep the passage open in front of you. It's page 1028 if you've uh, closed your Bibles. Look at chapter 2. Let's look first, shall we, at uh, Mary and Joseph. And I think that uh, Luke is trying to teach us here that Jesus is our perfect saviour. Jesus is our perfect saviour. Uh, now, Mary and Joseph were good Jewish parents, and we can see them in this story uh, kind of uh, carrying out three ceremonies uh, with their new baby, baby Jesus. Uh, they're a little bit obscure to us, but actually each one is important, and it's full of significance. Uh, the first one, we're told, is uh, verse 21. Uh, they came to circumcise him. They performed this ceremony of circumcision. 
uh, verse 21. Jewish uh, parents still do this uh, to, uh, to, to their baby boys. Uh, they're doing it in obedience to Abraham back in the Old Testament. In, in Genesis 17, uh, God told Abraham to circumcise uh, his sons as a sign of God's covenant promise, God's sure promise to, uh, to bless them uh, as his people. Uh, Christians don't circumcise. Why? Uh, because the sign, roughly, I suppose, the sign in the, uh, under the new covenant, the, the, uh, after Jesus, uh, is baptism. Uh, that's why the Church of England, along with lots of Christian churches, baptises uh, babies. Other churches have a slightly different, different view of that, but that's, that's at least where we uh, come from on things. Uh, the point of circumcision was to, to show uh, that a child was part of God's people. And that's exactly why Jesus was circumcised. It was a sign that he was part of God's people uh, from, uh, from, from the start. He was born under the law in full obedience uh, to his heavenly father. I suppose we could push it further and we can say that actually it's the first time in his life that his blood was shed. Uh, it's a hint of what was going to happen later down the line, as it were. So that was the first ceremony. The first ceremony was circumcision. Uh, the second ceremony, we can see, was this, this slightly unusual ceremony, this, the, the redemption of the firstborn. You can see it's in verse 22, can't you? Uh, so uh, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Uh, as it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Uh, now, the Old Testament law said that by right, every firstborn male, whether it was human or, or animal, uh, had to be consecrated uh, to God. It belonged to God. That's uh, God's law. It said that in Exodus 13. And it was a reminder for God's people that, that God is sovereign over all of life. Ultimately, everything belongs uh, to him. Uh, and what would happen is the parents would uh, bring uh, their, their child to God. Uh, and then they present him to him, and then sort of buy him back in a strange kind of way for a small price. Uh, again, it, it's simply a reminder that Jesus was always under his father's authority. But actually, I think it goes deeper again, doesn't it? it it's another hint of what his mission ultimately will involve. Uh, why has he come? He has come to buy his people out of slavery. There's something really, really, really unusual going on here, and I wonder if he picks it up. It's the Redeemer being redeemed. Funny, isn't it? Even here, Jesus was brought back, uh, brought back out of God. Uh, the one who came to buy his people out of slavery has himself also been brought back. Uh, that's the second ceremony. The third one is, is perhaps the, the weirdest out of all of them, I think, at least reading it uh, today. It is this ceremony of purification. Uh, verse 24. Uh, they offered a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two uh, young pigeons. Uh, the uh, Old Testament law said that after giving birth, uh, a woman was to be regarded as kind of ceremonially or religiously un unclean. Um, she couldn't take part in public worship. She couldn't enter into the temple uh, until she had uh, gone through a, 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 a ceremony of purification. And um, what would happen, she would come, she would bring a, a burnt offering of a lamb and a sin offering of a pigeon. Two different uh, uh, offerings. Uh, unless, of course, she was poor, which is the case here for, for Mary. Uh, if they, uh, a woman was too poor to afford that, she'd just simply bring two pigeons, and God would uh, accept that 
in, in, in the sight of that. Uh, it's a sign, isn't it, of the poverty that Jesus was born into. Now, it's easy, I think, for us to, to read this and see, well, it's another example of the Bible treating women as second-class citizens. It's that kind of patriarchal society. Uh, isn't this ridiculous? Let's just kind of ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist. And it's just a sign to discredit uh, the Bible. Uh, it isn't that. This is not the Bible treating women as second-class citizens at all. Uh, all of these ceremonies are pointing to a deeper truth. Uh, and in this case, the, the truth is that uh, God is trying to communicate to his people that there is nobody who is born without sin. Uh, even the tiniest little baby that has uh, just come out of the womb is still born into sin. Uh, deep down, he or she is a rebel against God. If you've had children, you'll know that it pretty soon actually that becomes perfectly apparent. They don't do uh, what they should do. We shouldn't be surprised. They're not perfect. Uh, they are rebels, just like anybody else. Uh, and the truth is that without that sin being dealt with, they are cut off from God's holy presence. Uh, and in some way, this ceremony w- was trying to convey that idea to God's people. Uh, what was happening was effectively the woman was being treated as unclean because she had given birth to yet another rebel in the human race. Uh, do you see, in, in some way, she was made unclean by the fact that the baby was a sinner and a rebel. And the whole idea was supposed to communicate that unless there was a sacrifice, unless blood was shed, then there could be no forgiveness. Uh, again, if you know your Bibles, it's, a, it's another foretaste of the Lord Jesus and what he came to do. Uh, through the shedding of his blood, there can be forgiveness once and for all. All of us who are rebels can be put right with God, our Heavenly Father. Uh, for, for many, many years, um, Audi, the car manufacturer, have used a uh, slogan, and, you, and you'll know it, uh, Vorsprung durch Technik. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. Something like that. No, it's not. Jonathan, tell me it's not. Thank you very much. My GCSE German is not uh, up to the standard, I'm afraid, this evening. Ask Jonathan if he wants to get that right. Basically, I think I might have got this wrong as well, but roughly it's translated (laughs) as progress through technology, I think, or advancement through technology. I think it's supposed to conjure up the the kind of a picture of sort of white-coated German engineers, you know, in pristine labs, searching for automotive Perfection. I think that's the image we're supposed to have in the back of our minds, and we're supposed to associate uh, Audi cars with that. Uh, this isn't a comment on how good Audi cars are, but however hard those scientists try, they are not going to achieve perfection, are they? Ultimately, it's unattainable. We know that. There are always going to be Audis with dodgy suspension or poor economy rates, uh, just because that will be true for every uh, car manufacturer. Uh, no matter how hard they try, perfection is always going to be out of reach. It's an illusion, of course. Why has Luke included all this detail about these obscure, irrelevant ceremonies at the start of his gospel? Why is he bothered? I mean, who cares about it? It is simply to show us that Jesus is the perfect saviour. Uh, he's not like Audi cars or Ford or Volkswagen or any other type of car. Uh, he really is perfect. Even from the moment of his birth, Jesus was perfectly obedient to his father's will, as revealed in God's holy law. Even these apparently pernickety commands, Jesus fulfilled absolutely. Uh, He lived a life of perfect obedience, 
to God in a way that you and I cannot. Even today, if we think back over our, we- our, our, our day, or we think even further back over the week, we can think of countless ways in which we have fallen short of God's standards. That was never true uh, for the Lord Jesus. Uh, he fulfilled God's uh, law perfectly. He lived a life of perfect obedience. And that life of perfect obedience ultimately ended by him being obedient to the Father's will and dying on a cross. Uh, again, perfectly fulfilling on our behalf the punishment that God demanded for our disobedience and our rebellion. Uh, friends, he is our perfect saviour in every single possible way. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He fulfills God's just demands wonderfully in every single possible way. Uh, this morning we sung one of my favourite hymns, uh, and it's got this line. It says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Many of you, I'm sure, will, will know it, and, and will probably it will be among your favourites as well. Uh, why can we sing those words with confidence? Why can we say that we have a strong and a perfect plea? The answer is here. Because Jesus is the perfect saviour. He was perfect in life. He was perfect in his death. And because of that, we need never fear God's righteous judgment. Uh, God uh, says in his law that we should be punished for the fact that we've rebelled against him. And if we're trusting in Jesus this evening, that need not be true for us. Because Jesus has fulfilled the law perfectly. He's taken the punishment that we deserved. So we can say, we can sing with the hymn writer. We have a strong, a perfect plea. We never need to fear coming before God. He's our perfect saviour if we're trusting in him. Secondly, let's uh, move on uh, to look at Simeon and and Anna and uh, see what they have to tell us. And I think that Simeon and Anna show us that Jesus is not only our perfect saviour, but he's also our promised saviour. Jesus is our promised saviour. Uh, Mike talked about feeling old. I feel old with this illustration. I can remember as a, uh, as, as a, as a, as a boy asking my parents uh, for a Sabutio set. Did anyone else have a Sabutio set when they were younger? Uh, I can remember one Christmas being absolutely... I, I wanted a Sabutio set more than anything else in the world. Uh, and I begged my parents for it. And they promised that I'd get, I'd get one for Christmas. But I had to wait. Couldn't have it before then. And the wait was agony. Just... You know, a part of it, I don't think I believe my parents, if I'm really honest. That's a horrible thing to say, isn't it? But I, in the back of my mind, I just doubted a bit about whether things uh, were going to happen as they'd promised. And I remember how great it was to open it up on Christmas Day, to get it out, to, to, to play the FA Cup final or whatever we ended up doing with it. Uh, it was a wonderful feeling. Probably most of us can think to having to, to wait to have a promise uh, fulfilled. Uh, we can remember how hard it was, but also how wonderful as well. Uh, And Luke shifts focus now in the passage to to look at two individuals who have been waiting. uh, And they've been really waiting, waiting a long time for God to fulfill promises, to fulfill his promise to send a saviour. And wonderfully, in the coming of the Lord Jesus, that promise uh, has been accomplished. It's been fulfilled. Uh, We don't know very much about these these two characters, Simeon and Anna. This is the, the only time they appear uh, in the Bible, uh, and Luke really doesn't tell us a great deal about them, to be honest. The thing that he does tell us about, though, uh, is their character, where their hearts were. 
Where did they stand uh, before God? Uh, they had a deep, deep faith in God, I think we're told. So Simeon, uh, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, verse 25, he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit uh, was upon him. He was a devout man who loved the Lord and was waiting uh, for him to, to act. Uh, Anna, meanwhile, uh, we're told verse 36 was a prophetess. That's quite unusual in Bible times. Mostly men were prophets. Anna was a prophetess. She had the spirit uh, upon her. I think we can uh, draw from that. Uh, more than that, she never left the temple, we're told, verse 37, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, these were people who were uh, incredibly faithful. They had a deep trust in God. And it should be no surprise, should it, that these were the privileged people uh, who God revealed the identity of his saviour to. Uh, it's a pattern throughout the Bible. God delights to reveal his purposes to those humble servants who seek his face and who seek to listen to his word. Uh, Simeon's response, we're told, was to compose a song, uh, a wonderful hymn of praise, which traditionally the, uh, the church calls the Nunc Dimittis. It comes from the Latin. Uh, now, now, uh, now you dismiss uh, is uh, the translation. Uh, it's an amazing little hymn. It's easily overlooked, but it's a, it's a wonderful hymn. Uh, it's full of details from the Old Testament prophets. I was having a look this week, uh, and I, there's numerous references uh, to, uh, to uh, references from the, from the Old Testament. Uh, clearly, Simeon had spent much of his time waiting, uh, reading God's Word, uh, devouring it for every single piece of information he could get about what the Saviour uh, would look like. And he's able, actually, to provide a, an amazingly rich description of him. Uh, what can we, can we see from this little, uh, little hymn? Lots of things. Uh, verse uh, 30. Verse 30. Jesus uh, is God's salvation. He says, I, My eyes have seen your salvation. Uh, the name of Jesus simply means God to the rescue. Uh, he is God's rescue plan uh, to sa- save us, to rescue us uh, from sin and from death. Uh, what else? Uh, he says, verse 32, he is a light uh, for revelation to the Gentiles, or, or the non-Jews, that means. Uh, he is the one who, who reveals uh, God to us. He reveals our need of uh, salvation. Uh, wonderfully, uh, that, uh, that is for not just for the Jews, but that's for all of us across the world. He's the glory to God's people, Israel. He is the high point of the history of that nation and that people, It is the coming of the Lord Jesus. The Saviour was Jewish. Uh, What a joy it must have been to Simeon to to finally see the salvation that he had been longing for, that he'd read about time and time again during his quiet times alone with the Lord. To finally see it face to face in flesh and blood. can hardly imagine how good that must have been. But inevitably, with all that light and that joy... Uh, there is some sadness and some shadow. Uh, Amid the celebrations of the coming of the Saviour, Simeon anticipates that his life actually will be a life full of pain. There's a darker turn uh, that he should expect. Uh, You can see, can't we, verse uh, 34, he says to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against but the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Uh, not everyone will receive Jesus with the joy that Simeon and Anna 
have received him with. Simeon says that there will be many who will reject him, who will seek to oppose his work, even to the extent of putting him to death, nailing him on a cruel cross uh, to die alone. Jesus will expose the true thoughts deep in the hearts of every single person. Uh, His life will bring great pain to those close to him, most of all to Mary. She will see her son grow up to be at first acclaimed and then rejected and then crucified. But wonderfully, the outcome will be salvation for all those who believe. We are pretty used, aren't we, to seeing the cross of Jesus in our world. Uh, Lots of people wear one around their necks or around their wrists. Uh, They might have tattoos of a cross. We see it hanging in churches. Probably some of us have got one embossed on on the front of our Bibles. Uh, But the earliest known depiction of the cross of the Lord Jesus is very different to any of those things. Uh, It's on a wall dating from ancient Rome. And it's just a piece of graffiti, actually. It's a, a really crude drawing of a man hanging on a cross. But his head is a donkey's head. The implication is pretty clear, isn't it? There's there's something about this cross which is ridiculous. It's stupid. Uh, Why would anybody worship a man who was crucified on a cross? What, What kind of a God is that? Why would we do that? It's astonishing that that drawing probably dates from just a few years after Jesus was put to death. Even then, there were people rejecting him and scorning uh, what he did. But that's the way it's always been, isn't it? The cross of Jesus has always divided the world. There are some who are like Simeon and Anna, who look at it as being their hope. They look at this tiny baby who grew up to be a man, who grew up to die on a cross, as being the hope of the world, the one who can bring salvation the the salvation that we all desperately need. And yet there are others who would draw a picture of him with a donkey's head. It's just a a stupid thing, a silly thing. Why would anybody worship him? He should be rejected and forgotten about. They will speak against him and ridicule him, just as Simeon promised that would happen. And so it happens today, doesn't it? Friends, there's no middle ground over Jesus. Jesus is one of those people who uh, will divide people, uh, and there's no middle ground. You can't have a neutral opinion of the Lord Jesus. Uh, We can say that we can remain indifferent to him, but if we remain indifferent to him, that's actually just to side with those who would reject him and reject the salvation that he brings. Uh, And I want to ask you tonight a, a difficult question, but I wonder which group you would put yourself in. Would you associate more with Simeon and Anna? Those who look at Jesus, this baby Jesus, they knew that he would grow up to be the saviour of the world. And would you be with them, worshipping him, uh, acclaiming him as the salvation, the, the light of revelation, the glory of God? Or would you side with those who would oppose him, who would speak against him, uh, who have had the thoughts of your hearts revealed and you don't like that? And you would rather let him go and be forgotten about. Uh, Which group would you rather be with? Which group are you with, may I ask? Friends, Jesus is the saviour. He's the saviour who the prophets, the Bible promised long, long, long ago. And because he's come, he asks us to bow before him. 
to call him our saviour. Not just the saviour of the world, but our saviour. And he invites us to know the joy of sins forgiven. Peace with God that only he can bring. He's the perfect saviour. He's promised by the prophets. Because he came, we need to do anything apart from trust him and know him. He's the baby that Simeon and Anna worship. Is he the baby that we worship as well? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we praise you that you did come and you grew up and you died on the cross for our salvation. Uh, And we will never fully know what that cost. Uh, And we thank you so much that uh, you do reveal yourself to us. And we pray that you would help us to see who you really are and what that means for us. We pray that we would be those who are like Simeon and Anna, who see who you are and worship you. And that as we do so, uh, we would know the joy of salvation, uh, sin forgiven, peace uh, with God, our Heavenly Father. Uh, Please help us to make that right choice and to live in adoration of you for all our days. Amen.